your day today? If not, there's always tomorrow, right? Try again. Good to see you all. We're in Colossians chapter 1. This is our sixth week. It's because you don't listen fast enough. Can't seem to get through this. I'm going to go a little bit deeper today, too. There's a couple of words in here and, and things that I want to kind of make sure we understand really well. So we'll get to those in just a couple minutes. We ended up, uh, we just talked about verse 20 last week. I'm going to read verse 20, 21 and 22, okay? And then we'll, then we'll start. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, they were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's that word of prayer. Thank you, Father, for this time we have, Lord, to study your word, Father. Pray God you help me be able to teach, Father, this morning. Pray, Lord, you're blessed by their pastor, uh, Shaver Z's uh, preaching down in, in California. Lord, pray I did meet his needs, Lord, and give him the words to say down there for those folks. And blessed by their sergeant, Lord, as he preaches the morning service, we pray you'd bless him, Father, and his travel back home, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Not that we're rushing you, brother. Just wanted to <laughs> get that out there in case. Okay, uh, let's pick up in verse number 21. Again, I blame my notes because <laughs> it was like this. Did you follow that? Yeah. A little better than that when I was two years old, I think. Okay, 21. And you hath he, uh, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. I already lost my place. Oh, here we go. So, by definition, they were once enemies of God. Guess who else was? Usans. We were too, weren't we? Okay. We were in our past, as he's talking to these Colossians, in their past, you were once, looking back, you were once alienated from God. You were at odds with God, you were enemies. Uh, in your mind, and by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. So there's something that happened between sometime and yet now in that verse. What happened? They got reconciled. They got saved. They got reconciled. So there's a difference, Paul's saying there. You were once, yet now. Same thing with Christians. Ye were once enemies with God, yet now, after salvation, ye are reconciled. Okay? So he's, he's talking to them about that. They were alienated from God. And you, he's pointing to them. He was kind of speaking globally uh, before here. Now he's pointing right at them. And you, you too were alienated. And yet now, there's a difference. There's a change. We can see it. You're saved, okay? Now, reconciliation, I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's important. Um, the definition of reconciliation is usually 
concerns two or more entities that were at odds or estranged or there was something between them, and then all of a sudden then they get it resolved, okay? That, that's kind of fuzzy, especially concerning God. When we have our experience, have anybody here ever been reconciled to somebody? I haven't, but anyways, no, what's it like? Um, sure we have. We've had things that we've become, we've reconciled. We've got it straightened out. We've got it fixed. Would it take maybe some compromise? Maybe, you know, who knows? But we got it reconciled. That relationship is restored now. Don't think God's the same way. And I want to kind of clear this up here. We are reconciled with God. We are reconciled to God. Okay? We were the ones being reconciled. I get a little further here. I'm going to tell you that, that God was not reconciled, and I'm going to get that in just a couple seconds here. Okay, a couple of minutes. We are reconciled to God or with God, but not along with God. We get this thing in our mind that reconciled means both parties do something. Both parties give in. That's not true with God. We were reconciled to or with, but not along with God. God didn't need to be reconciled. It makes it sound like like God kind of shared in this, this relationship problem, but he didn't, did he? It was we that had the enmity towards God, okay? So he needed to reconcile us as much as we needed to be reconciled to him. But God didn't have to reconcile to us. He didn't have any problem. He didn't have any share of the enmity between God and man, okay? So we get this kind of, fuzzy thing here where we get reconciled there's a big kumbaya moment and everybody's happy didn't happen I'll get to that in just a second here so these Colossians like I said they were they were enemies they were adversaries they had wicked works they were uh, Paul's telling them you know they, they were manifested in your uh, inward enmity with God uh, and then we talk about this reconciliation now let's look at the, I'm going to do a lot of scripture today uh, look at Romans chapter 1. Hold your place in Colossians. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm going to verse number 21. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professed themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds and a four-footed beast and creeping things. So we were enemies with God. We had this idea of God. We didn't accept God. When God revealed himself to man, we, when we taught Romans, we went through this. God revealed himself to man. What did man do? Not interested. Not interested. Then God had the law and all that. Okay, so, so we were estranged from God from birth. Why? Sin. Sin nature. Okay. We were born with a sin nature. We were broken. When was that relationship broken? 
Garden of Eden, yeah, Genesis. It was broken then. So Ephesians 4.18 says, Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of their blindness of their heart. People aren't walking, some people are, but not the best great people aren't walking around looking for God. They find God through other Christians, don't they? Or something happens in their life, maybe, and they, they realize they need God. But people aren't knocking on our doors. Look, we've got some empty chairs here. Uh, but they're, they're not pulling in here looking for God. Because they're alienated. Okay? They're, they were enemies. Now, reconciliation. It is never said that God is reconciled to man. Never says that. Uh, uh, we are reconciled to God. And that's the way it's phrased every time. We are reconciled with or to God. God is never reconciled to man. Calvin once said that, that we are reconciled to man. And that confused a lot of folks, thinking that, well, maybe God had a part to play. Maybe God, you know, that's not true. God is not reconciled. Sinners are reconciled. God, let me give you a big word here, God is propitiated. Has anybody ever heard that word before? We heard it in Romans. God is propitiated. He's not reconciled. God is propitiated. The sinner's reconciled. God, and that's, a, that's an old word, and, and what it meant back then is what they, they had all these little G gods, and, and God got angry. What did they do? They had to appease these gods. They had to do something to make these gods not be angry with them anymore. So that, that word kind of came over into our God. But in, our, in the Bible's case, propitiation means satisfied. God is satisfied. He's not reconciled to us. He's satisfied. Propitiation is the act of appeasing God's wrath or satisfying God's wrath through the beating, the suffering, and the dying of Jesus Christ on the cross. Propitiation is the wrath of God being placed on Jesus, who didn't deserve it, and not on us, who did. Okay, it's a big, deep concept of propitiation. It's not a word you use when you talk every day, you know. Uh, but it's a very, very important word. Look at, um, look at 2 Corinthians. I want to spend time here because, you know, you start thinking reconcile, but there, there's a lot more to it than just it, the relationship stored. God, God gave us. God gave everything for our salvation. We need to appreciate what he did here, what happened. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses uh, 18 through 20. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? When we are reconciled, when we're saved, what is our job? To tell others. Thank you. Oh, I just about went over that. Yeah, it's our job, our ministry of reconciliation is to tell other folks about it. That's the ministry of reconciliation, okay? 
where was I? Here we go. Verse 19. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, and though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. I'm going to go one more verse here. For he hath made, this is one of the deepest verses in the Bible right here to me. For he hath made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Very, very important. Here's my page I'm looking for. Christ's death was the propitiation. That's what reconciled us. God demanded something to satisfy his wrath against sin. And he demanded, look at uh, 6.23, uh, Romans. Romans 6.23. We should all know this verse, but Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. What's the payment for sin? Death. What does it cost? Death. And Jesus is the payment through the propitiation. Look at Romans chapter 3. You're in Romans, I think, left there. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. I like bringing this stuff up because sometimes we just kind of gloss over what the Bible's saying. If you look at this, some of these words and these concepts, it's very, very important to understand. It's, 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 it's very deep. And you really appreciate, I guess I would call it, since I'm a mechanical guy, I would call it the mechanics of, of salvation here, what, what God did, what God set in motion, what God had to ha have happen. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith in Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Here we go. Being freely justified, freely by his being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We talked about redemption last week. Whom God has set forth to be a what? Propitiation, a sacrifice. God needed satisfaction for man's sin, and we couldn't handle. We couldn't do it. We couldn't appease God. We couldn't satisfy God. Couldn't do it by works. Can't do it by giving. Can't do it by church membership. We couldn't do it at all. God. Faith in his, uh, set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood and declare the righteousness for remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be the just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. God gave his son. I need something perfect. Remember back in the Old Testament law? The sacrifice had to be perfect without blemish or spot. None of us are like that, are we? How many of you got a blemish or a spot? 
inside or outside. We got, we're not perfect. God needed a perfect sacrifice. Where was he going to find one? He knew where. So we had a debt. Let me give you an old saying here. Maybe you've heard it, but I haven't heard it for a while. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe. That sums it up right there. We had a debt that we couldn't pay. We couldn't meet God's satisfaction. Jesus paid a debt that he never owed. He's perfect. He didn't sin. He didn't have to get reconciled to God. He's God in the flesh. So God demanded a payment for sin. He knew that we couldn't pay it, so he provided the payment for himself. Wouldn't that be nice if you buy a house or a car and you can't afford to pay for it? <laughs> Should have told them that first, but anyways, you didn't. And then they all of a sudden pay it for you. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. Still looking for that dealership. Another round. Anyways, but that's what you're talking about. We couldn't pay, so he paid it for us. He sacrificed his son to pay our sin debt, our debt that we couldn't pay. Okay? So it's, it's, it's very important to understand all of that. To me it is, anyways. Okay? Now, look at verse number 22 here, back in Colossians chapter 1. If you look at verse number 21, what follows reconciled? Is there a comma? Is there a period? Is there a semicolon, colon, exclamation mark? I don't know what else there is. It's just kind of left there, isn't it? So it's actually part. Verse 22 is actually the continuation of verse number 21. Look at the last part of verse 21. Yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Reconciled and made holy through the blood of the cross. This verse emphasizes the body of flesh that is Jesus' physical body on the cross. Okay? Uh, let me show you a couple of parallel verses here. Look at Romans again. I probably should have stayed there, I guess. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter number 7, verse 4. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be mar married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. Chapter 8, verse 3 of Romans. Chapter 8, verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in likeness of what? Sinful flesh. And for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. So the law had no effect because it was dead. But Christ gave his body, his flesh. Okay, Why did he do this? Verse 22. Why was all this done? To present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. This reminds us of that language of the sacrifice again. We need to be, you know, God's trying to get us. What's God trying to do in our lives through the Holy Spirit? What else? Starts with an S. Starts with an S. 
sanctify. That's what God's doing with us now. You notice we didn't get saved and go right to heaven, did we? Did you guys notice that? Okay, good. Uh, we, we are here, and God's sanctifying us over time as we go, as we learn, as the Holy Spirit talks to us and moves us and helps us. We're being sanctified. Will we ever get sanctified? Not all the way, not until we get to heaven. But we're working towards that, aren't we? Okay, we'll talk about that in just a second here. God's purpose is to create a holy people in Christ. Why? So the lost will notice it. The lost won't see you and say, oh, I want what that guy's got if you're the same as they are. What's the difference? It's, it's sanctification, how you act as a Christian. The character you portray, the life of Christ that lives in you, and you, you portray that. That's what folks see that they want. They don't want some smoking, drinking guy say, yeah, you ought to get saved. Really changed my life. Doesn't have any effect on people, okay? Now, present you holy and blameless reminds us like I said, of that perfect sacrifice. God's purpose is to create a holy people in Christ. He has done this by paying for our sin on the cross, and he's doing this. We're not done. He's doing this every day. Through the Holy Spirit. God speaks to us through His Word, through preaching and teaching, but we, we learn things, don't we? And things are identified in our lives. The Holy Spirit may speak to you and say, Boy, you, you know, you may think you need to work on that or something. So He speaks to us. He's doing this through the Holy Spirit as He works through our lives. Now, let's get to the, the other verse here that, that's kind of important to really dissect a little bit. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven for I, Paul, am made a minister. The first half of this verse, we need a little discussion on that. If you continue, what does that sound like? Yeah, this is one of the most misunderstood and I think ill-taught verses in the Bible. This is the verse that folks use to show you that you can lose your salvation. This is the folks that folks that, that talk about works use. Most of my commentaries that I use and scholars online that I look at, most of them, surprisingly enough, lean towards you can lose your salvation. Isn't that sad? One or two of them, I think, identified the right, the right interpretation here. Now, there's a promise here. Verse number 22, he's going to present us holy and okay, unblameable and unreprovable, that's a promise. He's going to do that. And then we go in verse 23, if you continue, which you in your mind thinks implied, well, if I don't continue, he's not going to do that. Let's, let's see what he's talking about. Does this verse teach that 
Eternal life can be lost by falling away or failing to continue? No. Does it teach that those that fail to continue in the faith were never saved in the first place? No. Answer to both questions? No. <clears throat> it's important to understand the spiritual condition of the folks Paul was talking to. The text is very explicit. Paul says in that, that the Colossians he was addressing, look back at, you know, were once. He didn't say they are. He said you were once enemies of God. He didn't say, you enemies of God, you better persevere. No, you were once. What does that say? They're not anymore. They're saved. Okay. Okay. Uh, See, he's talking about continuing in the faith there <clears throat> in verse 23. Continue in the faith. You can't continue in the faith if you're not in the faith. Okay, so let's, let's understand this, what it's, what it's saying here. He's talking to saved, born-again Christians. Verse number 4 of chapter 1. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul identified them. Paul was speaking to them as saved People, not lost. Okay, so understand that. That's, that's where this verse gets misunderstood sometimes, where we think we got to persevere through, abide till the end, and we don't. But I'll tell you why we do. <clears throat> we don't have to do it for salvation. Okay, so the, the key question is, what is he talking about here when he says, to present you holy, unblameable, and, and unreprovable in a sight. Look at Ephesians chapter 5 real quick. Just sneak back to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify, here's that word again, and cleanse it with washing of water by the word, that he might present it. Present what? The church to who? Himself. Okay? Present it to himself, not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that it should be holy and without blemish. That's the same thing as unblameable, unreprovable, okay? So he's presenting the church to himself. We're going to find that, you know, as we study further on. Presenting the church to himself. We are the church. We are Christ's bride, and we're going to present, be presented, okay? So we don't have to abide to be saved. We need to abide in being more like Christ, abide in growing, abide in our faith, learn, grow. He's talking about sanctification, not salvation, okay? But it can easily be mistaken, oh, we can lose our salvation if we don't abide. People believe that. People worry about that. Church down the road there on Hannigan believes that. I knew first and went there. Kept losing your salvation. I said, where'd you put it? You know, she wouldn't, as funny as I was. But anyways, 
a little more serious than I was. Where was the last time you had it? You know what you always do when you lose something? Someone asks you, where'd you have it last time you had it? If I knew that, you know. <laughs> if I ask, I said, how can you keep losing it? Because I did something wrong. And they're King James. Did you ever look at 1 John 1, 9? I don't think that applies to us. Really? I wonder who it applies to. Anyways, we got along okay, but anyways, we didn't talk much about stuff. So we're talking about sanctification here, I think. So it's not, not dealing with salvation. Uh, it doesn't say salvation can be lost through failure to abide or persevere in the faith. Look at, uh, look at Jude, verse 22, way back in the back here. Jude 22, Pastor used this verse the other day. So I'm going to steal his comment here. Anyways, Jude, verse number 22. And some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, <coughs> pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. <coughs> I've been saved for 47 years. I've been in a lot of different churches because I was in the military, but I'll, I'll tell you what I've learned. I've even learned it here. Been here 20-something years. Anyways, people that get saved, what do they do? Are they all here this morning? No. They made a choice to not come. They made a choice maybe not to walk with God. Are they still saved? Yes. They may go to heaven smelling like smoke, huh? but they're saved. They make a choice to walk after the flesh, maybe, when they're saved, and God doesn't do anything with them. They're saved, and that's it. They'll go to heaven. God has better plans for us. Sanctification is one of them. Grow in Christ. Be more like Christ. That's our goal. Be more like Christ. But folks choose not to do that sometimes, and they have that right. They're still saved. So it, it, it doesn't mean that they didn't persevere and they're going to lose their salvation. No. This verse is, is, is dangerous sometimes if you use it wrong because it implies that salvation is work-based. It denies eternal security. We believe once saved, always saved. Not except when you fall away. What does God do when we live a carnal life? Does he take away our salvation? No. Holy Spirit works on us, I bet you. I backslidden 100 years ago or so. Once, maybe, I don't know. No, I backslidden before in the past. When I was younger, <clears throat> God dealt with me in certain ways to kind of nudge me back on the road. Anybody else ever experienced that? Good. All us older folks have. The younger folks can learn a lesson here. God directs us back to where he wants us to be. He doesn't just cut us off. Okay. The thief on the cross, did he abide? Did he persevere through? Did he do all these things? No. He was saved for a few hours and he died. He went to heaven. Okay? So 
this verse does not teach we can lose our salvation. What does it teach? Uh, unstated here, but found in other passages, that we are working, not for salvation, once we're saved, what are we working for? And what are we working, what would we hope to earn? Help me out. Eternal rewards. Crowns. We don't get crowns to put in our display case. What do we get crowns for? To throw back at Jesus' feet, don't we? What, there's crowns we can earn. That's what he's talking about here. Okay? Abiding in the faith is required to have a good report at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be judged by what we did in this body. Not too late to start. Um, I'm just saying that that's what we're going to be judged on. That's what we're talking about here. Abiding in the faith. We strive towards being like Christ. And there's a, let me just say what these crowns are. There's a victor's crown. Those that study God's word, there's, there's all kinds of things that go with it. There's a crown of rejoicing. We can earn these crowns. There's a crown of righteousness. There's a crown of life. There's a crown of glory. Sometimes they're called other names and other scriptures, but there's five crowns we can earn. And we do that once we're saved, and we do that. You're doing it right now. Being here, studying God's word, uh, being saved, uh, looking for the coming. Those are crowns involved in that, okay? That's what we're working towards, not salvation. These rewards, and the more you have, the more you get to throw at Jesus' feet. Folks that are just living in the world and not, not doing anything at all, they're going to be there. They may be embarrassed. I don't know if you can be embarrassed in heaven. I don't know. But they're going to see other folks getting rewards and getting to throw them back. We're looking forward to that. So that's what he's talking about. Jesus Christ paid for our sin on the cross. We are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Okay. For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's not, it's not works, is it? So there's verses that, 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 that contradicts what people think this, this verse in Colossians says. Okay, So it's important to understand that. We are no more or no less saved by what we do or don't do. Thief on the cross is going to go to the same heaven that we went to. He didn't do anything. Didn't have a chance to, did he? going to go to the same heaven we're going to go to. But we have the opportunity as Christians when we're saved is to, to earn these crowns. And that's what we should keep that in mind. We're, we're working towards something here to glorify God. Okay? That's what that verse is talking about. Sanctification. Okay? Everybody pretty confused now? If not, I'll move on to something else. I've got a couple minutes left. Talks about being grounded and settled in verse 23. Continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the what? Talked about hope the other day, didn't we? There's a lot to hope. Remember, hope is the expectation of receiving the good things that Jesus promised us. Remember the bridge? The old rickety bridge covered a raging a chasm with a raging river and there's rocks everywhere and dinosaurs, who knows what all's down there. 
is a little bit of rope bridge. Faith got us there. What gets us across? Hope in that faith. Faith said there's a bridge here to get across. Hope gets us across. Not hope so it stays intact. Hope that I trusted the promise of God. That's the kind of hope we have. Hope is the expectation. Okay? Faith is hope's foundation. Okay, so let's don't 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 uh, be moved from the hope of the gospel. Don't don't swerve away from God's word or serving God. Okay? That hope is there. We can see it. We had a big long thing the other week. I talked about hope and faith, the differences, and they kind of coincide here, but there's a little bit of a difference, isn't there? Hope is holding it in your hand. Faith is we receive the promise. We believe it. What do we get later on? The thing promised. Okay, we have hope. All right? This hope is preached to every creature. This hope, the Colossians heard by their pastor, uh, Ephaphras, okay? He heard that because he preached the word. They heard that. They heard that hope, and they got saved. And we talked early on at the first lesson or two that what the environment was in that area of the world at that time. Remember all the false teachers and cults and false religions? And we'll talk more about those as we go on through this, uh, this study here, but uh, Paul is trying to establish something with them first, some groundwork here, a foundation, all right? He wants to get this settled, then he's going to talk about some specific things later on, all right? Okay, I'm going to close out here right now. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you, Lord, for the lesson. Father, I pray, God, you bless the services to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.